Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. And the greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself, Dr. Joan Williams. If you want to know any more information about PROST, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. PROST means cheers to your health, so PROST where I want to call my home. For a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Okay, today we have a, a wonderful guest with us, someone I've got to know over the last uh, two or three years. And uh, Lena is sitting with us um, in our recording booth. And Lena and Melissa, we've joined forces as the girls today to have a really um, open chat about the type of sort of confrontational situation, the, the difficulty as a man diagnosed with prostate cancer might face, particularly on the consonance aspect of things. So Lena uh, and I met in uh, about July of 2018, and two years on, uh, Lena's story and uh, her vision and compassion um, for men experiencing uh, urinary incontinence as a result of prostate cancer treatment is what we're going to be really uh, delving into tonight. So, Lena, welcome to our podcast. Uh, it's just wonderful to have you sharing the experience of your husband. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of what happened when your husband was diagnosed and, and where it all started for, for you and him? Okay, thanks for having me, Joe and Melissa. It started when he was diagnosed after he had the operation because before no one told you anything about what to really expect or to say these facilities are available or this, there was nothing. It was like you opened a sheet of paper and the, the, the book closed. No one wanted to open that book again. So do you feel like he, that you've got lots of information up to the treatment and then the, you didn't get much information no, in post? Yeah, no, it was sort of like um, once you have the operation, there's the door, go home and that's it. I've done my job. I don't want to know anymore. Yeah. And even when you went to, you know, like to um, Hollywood Hospital after when he got the catheter out, they said to me, oh, look, you can go buy the cotton pads here. There. But I found, I took my daughter and me two and a half hours to find the pads that he needed. The pads that he needed, there was no, it wasn't sort of say, look, you can go to Coles or Woolworths or you go to this chemist or that mm-hmm. chemist. There was nothing. It so was, were you never offered to see one of the prostate nurses? They might not have been around back then. There was, no, we just seen one lady and mm-hmm. when she took the catheter out and that yeah, was it. Right. There was not really... It, okay, everyone talked about the operation and certain things that were going to happen, but the after when you leave 
this, the hospital, and you need certain facilities like a bin, you need the pads, the incontinent pads, mm -hmm. you might need a bag to dispose more to carry something or this. There was nothing. The men would just put on the little dinghy boat and say, well, off you go find the next island that you can mm. go into. So, Lena, when I met you, you had um, been recommended to contact me through the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. How did that come about? Because I rang them up. And um, then also, a plumber friends of ours, he said to ring um, another gentleman, and I rang him and he said ring them, and then they gave me your number, and that's how it all, that's how the ball started. Yep, so when Lena... Um, contacted me, it was actually via email, mm. Lena basically sent me a six-page document of the distress that her husband had been under the previous four months. And it was very much on the lines of her husband um, had basically isolated himself. He'd become very down and pretty much depressed in terms of not being able to access his normal social networks. And the main thing for Lena that she noticed was that there was no facilities for men to put their continence pads in and Lena then basically started her own little campaign of trying to get people to listen to the needs of her husband. Can you share a little bit more about the uh, journey that you had with trying to let people listen to what so your needs Can were? I just ask one yeah. question? So for those of the listeners just that aren't all over the story like you two, Basically, the problem that your husband wouldn't go out was mainly because he didn't have any... He was wearing these pads. He was embarrassed about being incontinent. And if you go to the bathroom, there's nowhere to throw them away. So you've got to carry them around in a backpack. And it's just this really awkward... Is that the problem? That well, the thing was, on? I asked a specialist, where do I dispose of his pads? And he mm -hmm. said, you can't put them in the female sanitary bins. He said, you'll have to think of something else. And <laughs> you, so said, thought, you just have to think of something else. And I thought, OK, lady, you've got a brain use it. <laughs> So that's when I, and that's how I really got in contact with Joe because I got so angry that no one was there to listen to you. They just, mm. it was like, okay, thank you, and hang up the phone and they'll leave you, you know, mm. leave you in the lurch. Yeah. So what did we do, Lena? We, well, we started the, you really started the campaign, and I just sort of got the thing together. Let's do petitions to get everyone to get the bins in areas so that the, when the guys go there, they can actually change and and not have to carry around the, the pad with them because you're not allowed to put them in the bin at the shopping centres anyway. Mm. They've got to be disposed of correctly. Yeah, imagine carrying around a wet pad in your backpack. You wouldn't want to go well, this out, is would what, you? You know, um, Lena's husband was dealing with, and in fact, um, we had the opportunity to work on this through the media. So yeah. the story basically went was that Lena got on the radio, she screamed and shouted, and do you remember that conversation? A little bit. <laughs> you you tried. I tried to ring the radio station when the premier was yep. here. Yeah. Um. Well, he was on the radio, and I said, "Can I speak to the premier?" And he says, "What for?" And I said, "Well, men who are incontinent, there's no facilities for them to get rid of their pad. They use, you know, pads or whatever you call them, pull-ups, whatever you want." He says, "Oh, you can't ask the premier that question." And I said, "Well, who am I going to ask? Jesus Christ." <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was that. He talked to me. Then I rang when the prime minister was here. And I remember that day because I was in front of the tile shop and I rang up from a radio and I said, look, can I speak to the Prime Minister? And he said, oh, we're here to talk about GST. And I said, well, I'm not here to talk about GST. I want <laughs> him to speak about men who are incontinent who have nowhere to put their pads once they're used. He says, you can't ask the Prime Minister that question. I said, all right. So I rang Channel 7. I rang Channel 9. I got no answer. So eventually I rang Kalgoorlie. I spoke to a guy up there in the radio station. I got interviewed on, in Kalgoorlie where I come from. Kalgoorlie. So they were very forward thinking, weren't they? Well, yeah, well, I said to him, look, I come from Kalgoorlie originally, 
And I said, do you guys have the facilities? I thought, if you get at least someone up there, because there's not just Gino that's in common. What about all the kids the, or the young kids that are in wheelchairs or even men? What do you want those kids to do? Oh. Carry it with them in the back of their wheelchair or wherever they are? It doesn't work. No. Well, Nina, you're absolutely right. The Continents Foundation of Australia have actually jumped on board to actually assist um, in the development of a new campaign known as Bins for Blokes, pretty much um, conceived by you, Lena. Um, but we've had the opportunity to work with these national organisations. But what I want to do is just read a couple of paragraphs from the article that ABC journalist Andrea Mays from the Bureau in Perth, Western Australia, put together for us. And it was a bit of an opportunity to raise this issue in Movember, the month International of Men's Health. The actual story was called A Lack of Sanitary Bins for Men is a wee problem that nobody wants to talk about. Now, I happen to know that Andrea um, did the stats on this and there was 250,000 hits that week. It was the lead story and it hit a nerve. As a consequence of that, um, the campaign that we did about trying to get equality for men, we know that women's toilets have to, by law, every single individual cubicle has to have a sanitary bin. We were just talking about potentially getting a bin in a toilet. We do have the unisex toilets, but not every man wants to um, access those. And, you know, they don't always have um, those in those facilities that men might frequent anyway. Uh, you know, the older buildings and um, shopping centres and restaurants don't typically have a, um, a toilet, depending on when they're um, yeah. built. Imagine, you know, if you go off to your, like, men's shed. I bet oh, they don't. all of that. Yeah. Um, so... This is the, the Continence Foundation stat, stats estimate about one in four Australians suffer incontinence. We know that one in six men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. We know that 80% of them will undergo radical prostatectomy, surgical, and we're anticipating that up to 99% of men experience incontinence, urinary incontinence like that. If men are treated with radiation, they tend to get those same impacts, but potentially bowel leakage and incontinence as well. Uh, maybe not initially, but in the, in the subsequent years and months. So we know that one in nine Australian men across the board, actually from whatever age group, from boys to older men, for a variety of reasons, may need access to these bins. Now, the classic um, quote of the whole story was Gino's declaration. I've never changed a nappy in my bloody life, <laughs> and here I am changing my own. So tell us about the man that you know. How did he deal with that? You know, he, from your he, point of view. he found it hard, but what I did, because I've got grandsons, I made a joke of it. I said, look, I said, you know, to the grandsons, you have to help Nunu because he's wearing nappies like you do. So I said, when he needs help, I said, you have to help him. I said, because he does this. So by introducing the kids that were talking with him and getting a lot of the guys over, that actually helped a lot. I had a lot of people through um, at home talking and, you know, carrying on and whatever you know, laughing and telling jokes and whatnot, and that helped him, but still he found it hard because he couldn't go out because he was scared if he did get a wet pad and it went through to his pants, what would people think of him? That was the biggest back, well, backfall or fall or brick wall that he encountered was Well, he's that a problem. very proud man, isn't he? Like, mm. I know Gino, and he is a very proud man, and, I mean, there's not no adult wants to be out at risk of wetting their pants, do they? You know? and, and here's another quote from this same um, interview from Gino. I went to the men's toilets at the shopping centre and there was nowhere to dispose of the pad. There were no bins in there at all. 
So I ended up having to wrap it up and hide it behind the cistern for the cleaners to find. The first time I tried to go out, I ended up turning around and driving home again. It meant Mr. Scavidi largely avoided going out for almost four months following his surgery. But then we had a chance to work with him and um, we talked about the rigorous pelvic floor exercise routine that um, Gino commenced. So do you remember how we coped with the opportunity then to try some physiotherapy the as phys a solution? The physio that you gave him helped. The other one, the, the other lady, I can't remember what his name was before, because he was doing it wrong, wasn't doing anything. Right. So if you don't get it first, um, right first, it just prolongs it and it just mm. makes them worse. But then after, because of you, I started to tell people to get to a physio before they had the operation. Mm. If I knew, because if you had it before, yeah. you would know what you were doing, so you wouldn't get, you weren't starting backwards, you know, going backwards. Yeah. And so I tried to sort of get um, a lot of people to that. And I spoke to a lot of guys, um, even young ones, old ones or whatever, and I got my relatives on board and I said, you've got to tell the guys to have a PSA test, this, this, that and the other, because if not, this is what's going to happen to you. Mm. So that's how it all started. So Melissa, just coming in from um, a different angle, in your experience, I'm really wondering what your thoughts are on the opportunity to do this pre-operative physiotherapy pelvic floor training. You, you see a lot of men and you'd probably have that wealth of experience. Um, myself as a physiotherapist, that's that's what mm. my whole research has been done on. But from, from your point of view as a From my point of view, the guys that I see that have started pre-op just do so much better. They're always drier and their erectile function returns mm. quicker. And if I, because I often do get to see the patients a month or so before, because the surgeons will refer them to me before, I always ask, have you seen a physio yet? And if they haven't, I'll give them the number. And, and the other really important thing, I think, is to make sure that the physio that they see is experienced with male pelvic floor issues. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's not just like, you know, I've had guys say, oh, yes, I'll ask the girl or the guy I see about my shoulder next week. And I'll be like, no, 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 this is a specialist field. Like, you actually need to see a physio who's experienced. But it definitely makes a difference. And the other thing that makes a massive difference is seeing guys preoperatively and getting them to lose weight. Losing weight and seeing the physio yeah. a month out, I think, is the most important thing for recovery. That's correct, yeah, and I'll, I'll explain why. Basically, when a man has his prostate removed or radiated, the automatic function that's like, I say, the plug of the urinary system is affected to such a point that it's basically no longer viable. So there's a something called smooth muscle that makes up the prostate, and there's smooth muscle at the base of the bladder and something called the internal sphincter. Now, those two structures are obliterated. That um, sort of automatic function is no longer in existence. So what you have is about five, six of the support of that whole bladder and pelvic area um, vanishing as a direct consequence of the surgical removal. Now, the surgeons work wonderfully well to adhere everything together, something called an anastomosis. So they join the base of the bladder into something called the striated urethral sphincter. And then that is the thing that we target through the pelvic floor exercises. So um, the research actually suggests, unfortunately, um, that pelvic floor exercises in this population can't be recommended, ironically. That's because in the past they were all focused on women and the urine sphincter and the, and the um, whole sort of setup is so different. I often get a bit... Um, pretty disappointed to be honest when women say to their husbands ah oh, welcome to my world you know I've been dealing with pads my whole life and you know suck it up baby and I'm like 
Actually, no. A man's incontinence can be so severe, and I feel um, that we shouldn't sort of underestimate the impact of this on men who literally are used to controlling what comes out of their body. Females, we we are used to, you know, periods, menstrual things, and all sorts of things. So you know, the other thing that I hear a lot from men, and I don't know if Gino commented on this, but they can often say they smell it. You know, like if they're walking around, like I've had a lot of men say to me, you know, I hate wearing these pads because you can smell the urine. And the I'll, odor's always there. And I'll say to them, I can't smell it. And they're like, but I can. And so they feel self-conscious, like they're standing in line at the shop and they're like, I wonder if everyone can smell I'm wearing a wet nappy. And, you know, when you are wearing something like that, you can smell that it yourself. To mm. We were at a funeral and someone came up to him and I knew he was going to just about lose it. And... Um, we had lose it, lose it from his bladder, or lose it. No, lose it like emotionally. Emotionally. Yeah. And um, I just said to him, I said, go, you know, because he'd stuck them in his pockets. Yeah. Because it was it was September, so it was cold. It was all right. No one would see anything. Yeah. And we went to a funeral, so in an hour and a half, two hours, he changed four four pads. Yeah, I mean that's really and serious. And that's telling you yeah. how hard. And there was nowhere for him to put anything. We carried them in the car. Mm. Not even at the at the cemetery. There was nothing. So he's at a funeral carrying around three dirty pads. So we put him. We quickly put him in the car, and it was just like, it just got me really mad. Actually, in fact, you've said here in the article, it yeah. got my blood boiling. I was really shocked because, particularly in light of the specialist saying, "You're a practical person. You'll think of something to sort it out." You were shocked because you thought this is not good enough. I have a son. I have a son-in-law and I have three grandsons. You didn't, you didn't want those other members in your family to potentially have the hardship because there is a, quite a strong genetic link in prostate cancer from males in the family, you know. So, so this was something that you as a mother and grandmother were, were obviously very passionate about. You go, it's easy to look back in time and say, this is what happened, this is history. You can't change history. You can't change who you are, where you come from. Mm. But you can look forward and think, if I can make that person who's lost a finger or lost an arm or lost a leg live a better life than what I did when I lost mine because I didn't know what was going to happen or whatever, don't you think that you should want to want to be involved in that? Yet the people that I spoke to really didn't language and stuff about anything. Mm. Because I've done my job. Go to the next person. Or they feel awkward. So tell me, both of you, you're yeah. all over. What is happening with the bins for blokes Let's program now? Can you tell me about the Westfield interaction, Westfield mm. Inaloo? Yeah. Ironically, Inaloo was where this all started from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a suburb called Inaloo in Perth, West That's Australia. right. I think it's got a little bit of a, you know, ring to it. Mm. Yeah. But remember we met that guy and he said he had it and he went to a restaurant and he had to dispose of it down the toilet. Because he was one him, of my patients. Whatever you do, I said, don't flush it because you'll block up the sewage system. Mm. And he looked at me and I said, I know, but I said, that's the only option you've got. Mm. There is no other option. And they were happy to come on board. They had that lady, remember the one from yeah. Mount Sydney? Yeah. And she was happy to come on board. And I thought, well, if this guy who works here, if everyone... If everyone, one, even four in ten people speak about it, you, I think everyone would sort of think, well, maybe the poor buggers need a hand. Mm. And Westfield actually put yep. to, uh, bins facilities in straight away, didn't they? Mm. And then, you know, the conversation has continued. So fast-tracking two years. So was this all Westfield or just Westfield, just in, Westfield in a loop? Initially, <laughs> initially, but we had quite a few conversations and mm. they said, we've got plans for development and from mm. now on, 
every facility that we knew, every new development we have is going to address this issue. Because it seems like such an easy solution, isn't well, it? Well, I said to them, instead of, if you're, worrying, if you're building a new building, instead of you worrying about putting bins in, I said, why don't you put a corridor at the back of the toilets so that you can have the bins that you lift up a, a lid, poke the use pad, so that gets cleaned every day, but no one sees what gets taken out. Yeah. So the guys or women on that side of the toilet, you know, yeah, the corridor yeah. treats women's side and men's toilets. Mm. If you have that, mm. no one sees anything. You know it's there, but it still gives you, you don't feel like I'm ashamed because if I was half black and half white, you'd think, oh, there's something wrong with her. Mm. That's the same how they feel. They don't feel any different. Mm. Mm. It's so interesting. There's been lots of thoughts uh, about all of this now. What I found out was that it costs $300 a year to supply one bin. Yeah. So the companies are very happy because they're already going there for the female toilets. We just thought putting one bin in each male yeah. um, toilet would be a really nice way forward. Now, I'm delighted to share with you that because of the whole campaign, and not just us, Lena, there was development of this going on in some... This has been a conversation that never really took off. In fact, I believe that through the Continents Foundation of Australia, they've dabbled with this at different times, but it just didn't have the impact. Now, through um, the CFA's um, CEO, Rowan um, Cockerell, then uh, involvement with a huge number of um, men's health peak bodies, um, including the Prostate Cancer Foundation, and the, uh, so I've got them all here, the Australian Men's Shed, the Australian Physiotherapy um, Association, the Movember Foundation, the Healthy Male, formerly known as Andrology Australia, uh, the Urological Society of Australia and New Zealand, and the Continents Nurse Society of Australia, plus our, the Rotary Group here in Western Australia, Perth City Rotary, all have joined forces to actually help put together something called Bins for Blokes, as in Bins for, number four, blokes, a campaign. And it's it's something that you all can go to in actual fact. You can actually just plug this in, Bins for Blokes, and 1.34 million men and boys live within continents. And the slogan is, bins for loads can help them live an active life again. And how can you get involved? Now, I regret to say right up until COVID began, we were ready for a national launch. TV, media, newspapers, it was all happening. There's already been these toilets facilities put into Parliament House. The Federal Minister, Greg Hunt, um, you know, there's been a lot of support for it, but I'd also like to acknowledge the work of um, the uh, a lady called Gail. I'll bring her name up um, and add it in at the end because she's from the she's a um, prostate cancer nurse from um, the Grampians in South Australia, and she actually, within one week of her being in her role as a um, nurse in prostate cancer care, managed to get uh, bins put in the local government there. So we've had some champions, in fact, women um, leading this, ironically. But there's now moves to have the Bins for Bloke campaign um, officially delivered a little bit further down the year. But this all started with you, Lena, and your blood boiling. So how, how do you feel about this opportunity to um, kind of... If I've, if, even if I've helped one person to get their dignity back, that's enough. Hmm. And did you notice that your husband's, like, emotion, you know, his the way he felt and, and his emotions changed when he was continent again? Yeah. He was back to normal in, in areas, that area, but in other areas not so much. But mm. um, 
it just made such a difference for him that he could still go out with everybody, even with his friends, mm. and not get caught and think, oh, what am I going to do now because I can't change my, my pad, mm. I can't put it anywhere, I can't carry it with me when we're at the restaurant because I've got it with me and we're eating, it's not really good. So in an ideal world, what's your vision? Like, What, do you, what would happen in the perfect world? They get treated the same as females, and no that, different. And that would mean every toilet had No, th- see, I don't think they need every toilet for the men. I think they need maybe two that are a bit bigger rather than three that are normal size because it gives them the chance. If they've got to take their trousers off or whatever, mm-hmm. you can hang it up at the back of the hook because for us we don't have to do that, whereas for the guys, because yeah. it's a different sort of pad, you do have to do that sort of thing. Yeah, and maybe they could just have a sticker on each on the door mm. in the toilet that said there was a bin in that one. So, but that if you don't, if you don't advertise it on the on the on the newspaper, they say this is what you've got to look for. Unless if if you speak to someone, they the guys don't go and look for it. Mm. So it's the women that are looking for it and say, look, you can go here, there, and everywhere. So there has to be a sign or something in the newspaper or on TV and that. So these facilities are available, this is what you've got to look for, and no-one's forgotten you. Yeah, so it's a bit like the safe house, you know, that mm. yellow and black, you need something like that, which yeah. is a safe toilet zone mm. or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, um, if you have a look at the website, I've just got it now, there's binsforblokes.org.au, remember it's number four. There's infographics, there's a step-by-step guide, there's a template for media release, um, there's stickers, there's even a symbol that's potentially put on doors to indicate that these... Um, facilities actually have um, that male um, facility sanitary bin there. So I think we need to do a call out for anyone who's involved in a committee or a school mm. or their workplace or whatever to go and try and see if they can organise a bin in yeah. the male toilet and a sticker on the door. Through my um, local Rotary group, we actually, um, I, and I joined Rotary specifically to help this campaign mm. grow some legs nationally. Um, the hospitality industry, the sporting venues, the WACA, the CEO, Chris Math- Christina Matthews at the WACA was straight on board with this and she was happy to help us roll it out, the MCG, the sporting stadiums, SCG. Um, we had 75 shopping centres with the Parent Institute all involved in wanting to help. There, everyone thinks it's a no-brainer. There's nobody thinks it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, want to say it's... But see, you were able to open the doors. I didn't get that. I was. I only opened the doors because you were knocking on my door. Exactly. You needed someone to have the, the, the to have the voice and be loud that had a personal experience. I because was loud. In front of Bunnings, I was loud. <laughs> no, it's really great, Lena. I think you shouldn't underestimate. You know that probably would. You know, sure, Joe's had the right connections to make it happen, but you still need someone to bring it forward in the first place. You need place. the fire in the belly, that mm. boiling. In well, your but see, also, I really don't get embarrassed with a lot of things, and I think that's, <laughs> that's what sort of didn't bother me. Yeah. Mm. Now, I've just um, found, um, I had the opportunity to chair the Men's Health um, Stream, I'll say, for the Prostate, yeah. um, sorry, the Continents Foundation of Australia's um, National Conference last week, and this is where I met um, the lovely Gay Corbett. Um, I just wanted to mention her name because she works as a prostate cancer specialist nurse for the Grampian regions, and she um, basically has been doing that role for six weeks, six years, sorry. And her, in her very first week, she managed to get this stamp um, into her thing. So she's also very passionate about education, and you know that's just a, another little link there that was that was happening. Um, I'd like to actually just bring a little bit more back to Gino's personal story mm-hmm. because I did actually. 
assess him, and he was about four months post-op, and he was wearing mm-hmm. about three pads a day, but within a month, he was actually dry, wasn't he? Just about. Yep, and he stopped wearing pads. I, I weaned him off the big pads and Just, got him out the night time. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. How is he today? Because that that is always important. I've only seen him about two times. I know he's a bit of a proud man, so no, does he, he still have a, any... He had an accident, and because of that sort of held him down, but he's good, pretty good now. Yep. Very, very rarely that he'll mm-hmm. have um, any, any wet issues. I see Gino reasonably often, mm, and yeah. he's back at work, mm. and he seems to be functioning fantastic. You know, he'll do, he goes if the kids need something, he'll go. You know, mm. but he always still has that thing in the back of his mind if there is something or he can't get to somewhere. You know, but yeah. otherwise, he's pretty well back to you know what he was before. Mm. Good. Does um. Do you feel as though he compromises his life like with his mates that? That critical thing about an Italian man going for his morning coffee with his mates, that was that was his culture, that was him, and he stopped doing that. Is he do you think he's back in the swing of life with that? Yeah. Because yeah. I was getting them to our house. Yeah. So that because I was having a lot of the guys come over for a coffee, mm. that he still had that interaction with, you know, guys that he mm. worked with, plumbers, whatever, electricians, whoever they were. And that made a big difference for him. He's a very lucky man to have such a proactive wife, I think. Not only is she proactive in the conversation, but on, on the sewing machine. So Lena started producing bags. We've had the men's shed, actually, in WA, um, Karen up in Balcata. And a few other patients of ours actually make these little zip bags. And yeah. you even got the Movember material. And they've been a great hit. We actually need more men's sheds to help us make those. You've got the pattern. We did some waterproof ones. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, when Juno was sort of going around, I thought, well, you can't have that sticking out of your back pocket. No. Because it looks, you look like a twit. <laughs> you, know, you might. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I thought, if I make a little bag that they could put, um, you know, the nappy, disposable nappy little bags, yeah. put them in as well. If you get stuck, you've always got that to put something there. And at least you can carry some. We can leave them in your desk or your car, wherever you want. And it doesn't look like, oh, what is, you know, what's he got in the back of his pocket? Yeah. No one's going to know. So where can men access those if they want to um, get them? I've given them quite a few away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also got people to ring up the Incontinence Foundation because you can get, I think, $750 worth of pads from oh, the Oh, that's government. an important issue. Yeah. yeah. And I got a few of them to get in contact with that. That was too late for me, that, mm. so the others. But I, whoever I knew... I gave away the bags. I actually saw a gentleman today for the first time. Mm. Um, it was my first appointment with him, and he told me he's changing his pad 13 times a day. I actually referred him to you, Joe. Well, thank you for that. And 13 times a day. Now, to be perfectly honest, 13 times a day is a lot, but he might have a 10-cent spot in that. And the only way we actually know how much a man's leaking is to weigh those 13 pads. Yeah, so he's going to start doing that. But the main reason he was changing it so often is he was leaking, but he was really freaked out about this smell. He was like, I feel like I can't go anywhere because it smells. And Mm. so, you know, I think it is a real issue and we need to address it. So it's great. Yeah, but I'd also like to say that um, my whole sort of a career basically centered out from men's suffering i realized there was a massive gap just like what you've shared the specialist was keen to do the the cancer side of it but not that keen on the pre-op um opportunity to train nor the post-op follow-up he sort of said you'll you'll be you'll be right but men are not happy leaking and and that was the vision for me to, to see if i could develop some protocols 
that were evidence-based aligned to the clinical presentation men. So I completely flipped it up. Based on my 10 years of clinical experience, I developed a high-intensity exercise program with men standing and doing fast and slow twitch mm-hmm. fibres. So we've actually got a separate um, little podcast uh, that is going to be available to yeah. allow men to have that evidence-based protocol. But wherever you are, um, remember that it is essential to get some opportunity to exercise, prepare well for any treatment before, get as fit as you can, lose some weight, and the whole thing should be so much easier. But pelvic floor for men is really simple. You just need to know that you have a front passage that empties the bladder and a back passage that empties the bowel, that you can control those, and it's just simply thinking of squeezing the front passage, drawing the testes up and the penis in, or as I like to say, squeeze and lift your nuts to your guts. And that um, little bit of research I've done is now published in 2019 in BMC Urology. The Prostate Cancer Foundation actually wrote it up um, through Dr. Wendy Wignall as a sort of an opportunity to have the latest program. So I'm delighted that uh, we can have an an evidence-based discussion where we can link the um, misfortune of men uh, undergoing this procedure, leading to the fortune of having the Bins for Blokes campaign with you, Lena, um, being an absolute goddess of that. So thank you so much, Lena, for coming in today and sharing that story with us. And keep being loud because it's useful for everybody. Well, thanks for having me, and I just hope it helps the next lot coming along. Yeah, and anyone out there, if you not, if you go somewhere regularly... Go and speak to whoever runs the place and talk to them about getting a bin for the blokes. Look out for bins for blokes in 2021. It's going to be a massive campaign. And uh, Lena, I just want to say, you you said to me, people know me as Lunatic Lena and you're still in my phone as Lunatic Lena. (laughs) (laughs) They all thought I was nuts. Don't worry, I'm known as being a bit nutty. And Melissa, well... Yeah, let's just go there. Thanks so much, Lena. I'm going to tell you about a boy lives inside me it's been there all of my life so lena tell me about your invisible bit that you were just telling us about well when you see someone in a wheelchair or with an aid a walking stick or whatever a frame or cancer got no hair and they've got a you know scarf around the hair or something and you think oh that poor person needs help i'll open the door i'll help them to go forward i'll do anything you know normal people would when you've got prostate problems at your wedding, no one sees anything. You don't have a sign on your pants saying, you you know, help me because I'm leaking. It doesn't work. It doesn't no, work. No, you're right. And so it's sort of like it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. This is like the invisible thing that's yeah. happening to so many men that yeah. we need to help them. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, we've all got sex organs. Just theirs happen to hang on the outside, now's their ovaries and whatever. You know, they, it's still the same. that You still reproduce whether you're male or female. It doesn't make any difference. So why can't... We all feel sorry for them because theirs is a bit different to ours. Well, I think maybe the issue is that we just don't think about what we can't see so often, and this is just a perfect example of we need to pay attention to what we can't always see. And and it is challenging for men to talk about this, and that's why we're talking, Mm. to get men talking to other men about this. So that's really the whole point of our podcast series is... Is to to get people talking. And I think that... You know, it's important for women to talk about it as well because women need to understand what goes on in, with mm. men's bodies and why some men are grumpy old men because and they've so got to. Con- men say happy wife, happy life, but mm. if you've got any sodden pads on, 
How can you be a happy man anyway? Mm. No, but see, it's I a relationship got angry with Gina because he was so, how can you say, focused that he couldn't have sex anymore. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in him getting better. Mm. That was all. I That side of it didn't really... But I think that's... We can't underestimate how important sexual function and masculinity is. And yeah, it so, is. We have to concentrate on all of those. And there's the added bonus that if you can get your pelvic floor working, it helps with both of those. And I think more men would get their pelvic floor working if they knew that it was going to get oh, their, their penis heart working. Health. Mm. The heart health. If men doesn't um, get his penile length restored, there's a one-inch loss after one year on average. Mm-hmm. Also something called climacteria, leakage with any arousal or sexual activity. So they, they become very... Um, reluctant to want to even explore sexual function um, if they're leaking so there's everything's wrapped up to the man's self-esteem and and then his relationship and how he feels about himself is with himself is it going to reflect on your relationship with him so so many important points we've raised i'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me he's been there all of my life I'm growing old now, he's getting harder to see. Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight, so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. Try to ignore fading. Of a life, we don't want to go home so soon. Women, just a mystery to me. I've got a boy of my own now, it fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.